welcome. Um, I'm excited to continue in this series, Exodus, which means just this idea of ex, like exit, this idea of out, and the word hadas in Greek is way or path, and it's all about is we go through this book and study this together, a way out, a delivery from God. And so with that, um, this week, I want to share with you that we experienced a delivery in our own family in a unique way. On Wednesday, my daughter gave birth to our second grandson, and that was fun. Like eight pounds, so many ounces, and, uh, and 21 inches, I think it is, Howard Martin Meyer Shockle. It's a long name, but... Uh, Little Howie wanted to get out about 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and they got to the hospital, to the birthing center at 4 a.m., and delivered sometime around 11 a.m., and was home at 4 p.m. with my son-in-law, Tori, Kelsey, and Howie. And I thought, you know, things have really changed. I mean, it's like outpatient delivery, Right. Uh, that wasn't the case when Grace and I gave birth to our girls. Uh, in my mind, it was, could we stay here a month? <laughs> I do not know what to do with this little breathing thing. And, uh, and, and their delivery was very interesting because she had midwives who are women who are trained in, in helping the birth process. They themselves have, many of them, I think most of them, if they have had their own children. So they've had some experience with it. And then she had also what they call a doula, which is a coach who, who helps you through the process and knows exactly where to, uh, you know, the massage the muscles and keeps you moving and changing rather than just laying in a bed the whole time. And, and so I think about that. And, and when Grace and I um, were in that delivery room, we had a guy in his middle ages, um, had just come from a vacation, tan as could be, right? Good looking guy. I'm going, what are you doing here? And, and. He'd never himself given birth to anybody, and he was going to deliver this baby. And here's the worst of it. I was the doula. Okay, I was the coach. In fact, we took coaching lessons where we learned how to do these things and sat on pillows and did all this stuff. And, and my, big, my big thing to do was to, to do the counting and breathing. Four, three, two, one, breathe. Three, two, one, breathe. Well, I'm not, I don't have great... Rhythm, okay? And I was just a little bit anxious when we're sitting there and my wife is clawing my arm thinking I should have one of those leather talon things here on my arm. And I'm trying to count, which I'm not real good at that anyway, being anything that's just systematic, repeated. And I got fired on the second round. I mean, I was done. Things have really changed when it comes to delivery. But some things are the same. Some things around delivery are all the same. It is still a reality that you have to conceive to deliver. It is still a reality that you go about nine months. That's what you should do to term. It is still true that it is painful when you actually give birth. It is still true that you may... Unless it's, um, if it's a natural birth, it is still true you do not know when that baby is going to come. It is truly a guest date, not a due date. And it is still true 
the moment you hold that little, that little baby in your hands and your arms, this little head with these big eyes, and you look at their little hands and, and their fingers with all the creases and the little nails so incredibly formed that your heart goes, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. Well, what I want to share with you is we come to Exodus chapter 2 in this story of God making a way when there seems to be no way. And you may be in that place in your life. You may have experienced that and be one who has been a recipient of a delivery of God where you've seen him move. Or you may be in a few weeks or months be in one of those places where you're looking and you're going, how in the world am I going to get through this? Or you may see yourself approaching it. But this is a book for you. Because when there seems to be no way, God is in the habit of making ways. And in Exodus 2, we look at these first 10 verses, and you will find that God is at work doing the same thing he has done then he will do in your life. And we're going to look at some of these truths that you find in every delivery, whether it's yours or whether it happened in the time of Exodus With the people of God, the sons of Israel. So here's the verses, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read these. Here's the story. It's a simple story about a birth of a deliverer. And it begins kind of in a neat way. And I love how stories are in the Old Testament. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and she and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sisters stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. His sister did. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it up and saw the baby and he was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's mother said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. And so the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. It means pulled out, delivered. And what's really interesting is you read in that first verse up in that verse, you hold that on the screen. Yes, go is significant. Because one of the things that Moses will come back to the people and say again and again, let my people what? That's a significant change as God began to move into this. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would cause us to understand more fully, more deeply what it means for you to be a deliverer years ago for a people called Israel. And even now, for all the people of the world Enslaved, not by human bondage, but by hearts that are selfish and sinful. And what it means for you to say, 
Let my child go. And for what it means for us to walk into the fullness of this land of promise with you and your Holy Spirit. I pray right now, be with those who are standing before a place where they just see no way to go or where they're holding on to something so tightly that God, you would begin to allow for us to let it go as well. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to share with you five things that you find very common in, in, in delivery kind of stories, in your own possibly as well, and you may relate to this. But the first thing you see is that God is at work when you're in this situation, as you're standing maybe before a wall, and he's pointing to his presence with what I call God incidences. You're in this place, and God seems to show up if you have eyes of faith, if you walk with a sense of asking the Spirit to lead you and guide you. God is so gracious in your life that he will not allow you just to walk alone, but he will give you indications of his very presence, that he's with you. A lot of people will look at these things, and, the, and, the, and you could share it with them, because you know in your heart that God, it's what I call a God incident, but they might go, well, that was just a coincident. But don't let them take that away from you. Don't let them steal that from you. Jesus called them works. Believe me, or at least he says, believe the evidence, the evidence of what you see of the works themselves. Luke, the gospel writer, through both the gospel of Luke, but specifically even in the, the, the book called Acts, which is the great delivery of God's people and the message of, of God's love throughout the whole world, he calls them signs, wonders, and miracles. The idea that it is a sign that points with a sense up to God where you are wondering, going, wow, that's, that's a miracle. It may not be an actual blatant kind of miracle. Sometimes there are things that you see that you go in your heart and you say, like we heard today at the beginning, if some of you missed it, when Amaris was sharing how she was in a parking lot and someone called out to her in a very kind of a time of, 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 of some stress and difficulty and said, I just love the way you sing. And she didn't hear it just as kind of someone giving her a confirmation or an affirmation. It was actually what I call one of those God incidences where God goes, I see your heart, Amaris. I'm with you. They can be very blatant, but they can be just like in this story, what I call mere coincidences. A mother has a baby, and in her heart, she looks at this baby and sees him as special. The, the word you see that we read in some of your um, translations is fine. It isn't really the idea that this baby's unique or adorable, because every baby, right? If you have a baby in your arms and it's yours, that baby's special. And, and if you have trouble, you know, if you're kind of going like, boy, you know, how do I, baby's not really beautiful, just, just say, wow, what a baby, you know? Because that baby's beautiful to someone. And so you see this picture. And the word here, fine, is really the word tov, which is the word that you find in Genesis a number of times when God made the light and then he made the land, he made the animals, he made all these things. And every time he spoke to it, he said, it was good. It was good. That's the word that's being used here. It's this idea that it, it's something that God is present in such a way that the, the sense of who God is is somewhat there. And so when she looked at this baby, it wasn't just a baby. It was a, it was a baby that was special. It was good. And she knew she had to handle this baby in a way that would honor God. And not only that, she keeps it for, for three months. Now, three months, you go, that's not a long time, and baby can be quiet, etc. But God is making the point here. This is one of these God incidents, because there are other people who didn't have a baby for three months. For three months, she was able to hide this baby. 
And she places him in a basket, is what we read here. I want to share with you, the, the right word for that is the word ark. It should always be translated ark. It's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament. You know where that is? Genesis chapter 9-4. And it talks about the ark that Noah built. So you get this, a person who is a Hebrew person who's reading this, he sees the word ark and his mind is going, hmm, that might be a delivery system like it was for Noah and a group of people who he brought through a what? Flood of water. Maybe it's a coincidence that she was drawn in her heart to make something with a pitch and bethumen what would be called an ark. And then you have this picture of Moses' big sister. She's just hanging around to see what will happen to baby brother. Well, I mean, she could have been commissioned by her mom to so say, you stay down there and watch. But any seven, eight, or nine-year-old, I mean, you wonder how long her attention span could be, whatever. But she happens to be there watching and then it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter comes out and she probably took a bath around there, but whether she took a, a bath or it went down to the Nile on, on a regular basis, she came down on this day with her servants and they happened to walk along and in the reed of that Nile River, they happened to see a ark and they go over to this ark and they open it up and the baby's crying and they bring it to this pagan princess This Egyptian pagan princess who knows dad has said every baby who's a Hebrew should be killed. And what happens? She just so happens to have compassion for this little one. And then coincidentally, with great courage, a little girl, seven, eight years old, comes running up to her and goes, hey... How about if I found someone who could nurse this? I'll find a wet nurse for you. And she goes, hey, that's a good idea. Do you know any? And she goes running back. And she gets her mom. Are those coincidences? Or are those what I call God incidences? Reminds me of the story of Esther. If you read the story of Esther in the Old Testament, it's one of these beautiful books where not once, not once is the name God mentioned. In fact, there were some like Martin Luther and others in history who thought it shouldn't be a part of the canon of scripture because it never mentioned the name of God, but it was purposeful. The author wants you to understand that no, no matter the fact that, that you never see God on stage, you never see an evidence in the, you never see God himself on stage, God is the director behind making everything happen. Because if you read through Esther, and I encourage you to do this sometime, it's a great book just to read through on one sitting. Take a pencil and, and just underline every time you look at it, it seems to be a coincidence. It is obvious that they are God incidences and God's at work. And I want you to know, don't discount sometimes when your spirit, not talking your mind, We are made with a mind, and we are made with emotions, right? But we are also made a spirit, and when our spirit is alivened by God, our spirit connects to the things the spirit of God is doing. And don't discount what I call God incidences, because it's God's way of telling you, I am present with you. I had one of those this last Wednesday. 
And, you know, I talk about wanting to be vulnerable. This is one of those that I just can't share. So I was praying as I was preparing this. I said, God, if you really need, if, I, if someone from our congregation had one. And so Saturday morning, I get a message from Mike Brinkman. He goes, you know, I thought I'd share this with you. I heard this from, from someone and they sent me this email and I said I'd send it to you and, and, and you can use it if you want. And he said, it's kind of a coincidental thing, kind of thing. <laughs> Could this be a God incidence? And he said, you know, I, I, I said, can I, can I share it? And he goes, yeah, the person just wants to stay anonymous. So for the sake of anonymity, I'm going to call this person Pete, but his real name's Larry. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Pete writes, it was great to run into you, Mike and Bruce, at the UPS store as you dropped off boxes of info to shred. And Pete was looking for a place to shred. And he didn't know where to go. And he says, my company has recently made some important technical advances. And the next steps include expert physician review and funding. And we've been praying for signs. I had been praying for something like this. I've been praying for signs from the Lord that we are moving in the right direction and that he will bless the upcoming steps. At the same time, we are moving out of our lab and there are many small details that need to happen quickly, and one of them is a solution for shredding a volume of old papers. And he happens to go into this UPS, doesn't even know this is a place being shred. He sees Mike and Bruce from our church, two pastors, who are there with boxes to shred. And he writes, "What God, when God answers prayers about small details, such as shredding with a spontaneous in-person visit from two pastors, not just one, but two I have every confidence. I have every confidence. So should you. You should have every confidence that he has the big stuff under control. And while I was expecting that God might help me execute a successful Google search for the shredding, it's fun to see him overdo a God thing. Thanks for your part. And God's at work in what I call God insistence. Because he loves you. Take that in. Don't just hear it with your head. Sometimes trying to do myself is just, God loves you. He loves you. You're not on your own. He loves you. God's also at work in people you'd least expect. This is the way deliveries work from old times to new times. There's things that are the same, and sometimes God just is at work in people you'd never expect. You'd least expect it. You should be surprised who God will use to further his work. Although the narrative features Moses and his birth, the future deliverer, this future deliverer Moses, is surrounded by a story of women. Three women specifically in this passage, a mother, a daughter, an Egyptian princess who is a daughter who then will soon become a mother who adopts. In the space of 14 to 15 verses, as we read Exodus 1 and Exodus 2, specifically the end of Exodus 1, in just 15 sentences, five times, five times, God says, women are so important to the work that he is doing. In the saving of his people. And that in a very patriarchal culture. 
had a statement. The courage and bravery. Shifra and Pua. Interesting names. Midwives. And we read last week here. Listen to these words. The midwives feared God. This idea that they were so influenced by the love of God that it controlled everything they did, even in the face of great fear. This fear, this love and influence by the love of God was greater than any other fear she would ever expect or could even face. And so it says, the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the baby boys live. A Levite woman, Exodus 1 verse 2, the biological mother of Moses and her name, as we're told later in scripture, Exodus chapter 6, 20, Numbers 25, 59, she's identified as Joachabed. And so here is Joachabed, who hides this child for three months and is very much involved in the process of letting go of something. Not only she dearly loves, but it has God's Tove stamp on it. And then the daughter of Joachabed, Moses' mother, This little girl named Miriam, who is the sister of Moses, and it's believed that she was probably seven, eight years of age, could have been a little older, about somewhere at that point. Chapter 2, verse 4, she remains standing there. Exodus 15, 20, and 21 identifies her later as Miriam. In fact, she's a leader of Israel. We read in in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, Micah writes this, I brought you up out of Egypt, and redeemed you from the land of slavery, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam, this triumvirate of leadership. And he highlights the courage of a seven and eight year old child in the work of delivering a massive group of people, a, a, a family that has become a nation within a nation. And, and some of you who are seven or eight years of age here, I want you to know that you can be used of God in powerful ways at seven and eight years of age. You do not have a junior Holy Spirit. You hear me? Hear me. You have the Holy Spirit like we do. And if you are a person as a child, five, six, seven, eight years of age, whatever age you are, God is going to use you if you just have an open heart to him. And then we go on and there's the daughter of Pharaoh. And I just think of this and God is amazing. He uses who you'd least expect. And here is the amazing one that you you see. Here is the, who would have thought? Who would have thought that God would use the secular pagan princess of Egypt? We read in Proverbs 21.1, this isn't a big deal for God. He, He tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So here's the king's heart. And he directs it like a watercourse, like a channel, wherever he wills. You know, if you're thinking about the stuff nationally, we need to pray for the stuff that's going on in Iran and Saudi Arabia and all those places. We do need to pray. Pray and we ask God to to work and intervene. But you know what? His hand is not far from any leader if he so chooses. Because he directs. So I want to just mention this part. Be really, really careful not to make quick judgments and exclude any person from being used by God. That's not ours to decide. God may just surprise you and use that person you don't like in the cubicle next to you. God may just surprise you 
He surprised Samuel when he came before a bunch of sons who were very capable of Jesse. And he says, no, it's not here. It's a guy. It's the little one. It's the eighth one. His name's David. He's out in the, he's out there in the field. Or, or he surprised all of Israel when he raised up a king called Cyrus. And this king not only took the people of Jerusalem who were in captivity in, 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 in that time in Babylon, but he, he freed them. And not only did he free them, he paid for them to build the temple. Who would have thought? And Jesus chose a bunch of salty fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot. He did not choose the star students at the Hebrew seminary in Jerusalem. God can use you. No matter what age you are. No matter what background you have. And all he wants is a heart that is open and willing to be used. When there seems to be no way, God can show up with God incidences and he can show up in those you'd least expect. He'll show up with someone who may not have been on your radar at all. He's been known to do that. And God is not only working with places in, in people you'd least expect. Here's another cool thing. I just, this is, I love this. God is at work in places you'd never suspect. You know, we kind of look at some places and go, oh, there's no way God could be working there. There's no way God's working in that home. There's no way God could be working through that business and that leader. There's no way God could be working in that school with all that's going on. It just amazes me. Right beneath Pharaoh's nose, God grows up the future deliverer. Think about that. Think about this. Fearful Pharaoh hatches a plan to kill every baby boy. And his great fear is that the children of Israel will someday create this uprising and leave. And so he builds a slavery mindset into him. And he, he, he tries through a, a population control to downsize them. And he continues to work. And he finally, because the midwives won't agree, he finally puts in this institutes to the Egyptians themselves to kill the baby boys, thinking he's going to control this thing. Because he doesn't want an uprising, but rising up, think of this, rising up right under his nose in the courts is the deliverer. It's not only the the people you least expect, but you'd never suspect in his own home would be the one who would set all the people free. And I think of the humor of God in that. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 and 4 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the Holy One, the Anointed One. And it says just a little bit later, the one enthroned in heaven is sitting down going, I can't believe this. Just, just He's humored by how much we think we can do and how much pride we have. The illusion of control we think we have over our lives. Can't you see um, God smiling? Because one day, here comes Pharaoh. He's walking to the palace. He decides to go away to the, to the one end of the palace. Because not only one end is where his daughter, this one princess, lives. And he, and he hears some news that, you know, you need to go down there and check it out. And so he goes walking down there, goes way down to the end of the palace. And here's this Egyptian daughter, his, his daughter. And, and he goes, so what do you got there? And she's holding this baby. And she goes, well, it's really cool. I found this baby in the Nile. You know, it's one of these little Hebrew boys. He's so cute. Isn't he fine? Isn't he Good. 
And he's looking at this little baby and he's, he's amazed. And she said, dad, it's so cool. I'm going to name it Moses. Oh, okay. You know what? Moses is an Egyptian name. And Moses was the name of the Pharaoh. So there's a little bit of Pharaoh going, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. If you think of, if you look in the historical records, you'll find there was all kinds of different Pharaohs named, like there was Amos. There was Tutmos. We say Ramses, but it's Ramoses. So here we have this Egyptian child by the name of Moses. But what we don't understand is God is smiling because the very Hebrew word, Masas, it's a little pun that's going on here. This Egyptian named child, which means one born out of the Nile, also means one who will be deliverer and who has been drawn out. And God's just kind of laughing. He's right under his nose. Here is Moses. He is being trained by, educated, prepared as a leader, growing up not with a slave mindset, but with a prince mindset. And unbeknownst to Pharaoh, God is at work in places he'd never suspect. And God is at work in places you'd never suspect. You, you don't realize it, but a lot of times we think, you know, God is going to be at work in places where we're succeeding and we're successful and, and, and where we're doing well and good. And, and a lot of times we think, well, that's where God is. It's not, not, not saying that God isn't in those places, but you know, sometimes where you never suspect God, where he shows up the most is in places of humility and complete vulnerability. Where did God show up the most? Showed up in a, in a baby called Jesus. Helpless, vulnerable, fully dependent. You may be in that place where you're standing against a wall and there seems to be no way. And you are in one of those places where maybe it was a divorce or maybe some painful decision you have made that's put you in this place. It could be that in your brokenness right now, whatever that looks like, in that complete place of vulnerability, you would never suspect it, but God's there. He is with you. He is walking with you. He shows up in places we'd never suspect. God prepares us to deliver right under the nose of Pharaoh. Here's this deliverer being prepared. God's preparing you in places you won't even know in your heart in this time because he is placing in you, not that you're a deliverer, but you deliver a message of God's love to other people. Your own brokenness, the place where you have experienced God is for you to share with someone else where God has been at work so you can share with them in their pain and their brokenness and you can tell them about this God who loves you and he's with you even in the midst of your vulnerability in this place of dependency. You have been prepared If you have received Christ, if you have understood how much he loves you, even in the midst of your own sin and your own selfishness and and where you yourself have blown it and you've experienced this love of a God who comes in mercy and grace and he says, I'll be with you. It's not about you being better and being good enough. It's just about you opening your heart to me. You are prepared to deliver that message to someone else. And here's the thing you need to know from this passage of scripture. Not only God prepares deliverers, you and me with a message of God's love but he's preparing people to be delivered he was preparing the whole sons of Israel through this whole thing they were crying out to God they were in such pain that God finally tells us in the end of chapter 2 that they finally hear God says he hears their cries of pain 
mark my word on this. There are people around you that God has prepared for you to share a message of his love. And I'm going to ask this as a church. That's why we, one of the reasons we exist, we exist to help people in impoverished places and do social justice and, and, and work for justice. That is something we're called to do. We are called to set people free. We're also called to strengthen believers. That's what we're about. But we're also about seeing people saved who are in a place where they need God and they don't have God and they need a salvation. And God has prepared people around you. And he just says, start praying. Start asking. Well, I have a whole bunch of other stuff around it. We're not going to go there. So um, I'm going to let it go. Oh, but I want to go there so bad. Anyway, okay. Uh, let me share with you another one. God is at work with power beyond what you could ever imagine. These first 10 verses of chapter 2 are merely the first step of God's plan of deliverance. This whole nation of Hebrew slaves that he was preparing, this is step one. It's a birth of a baby. It's a birth of a leader and a deliverer. And not just Moses, but Aaron and Miriam as well. It's kind of a family business. No, I'm just, anyway, think about that. Isn't that kind of funny? The three that lead are all brother, you know, brothers and a sister. And Moses is given this deliverer role. How many do you think they had any idea that when Moses was born and when that was happening, they understood this was step one? How many have realized in your own situation, you could be on step three or four and you never saw step one? All right? See, the incredible power of God is so great that he begins to work far beyond where we could ever see it. It is more than we could ever imagine because he loves us so greatly that he begins a step one. And so often step one we don't even see because it's such a little thing. It's just a birth. It's a birth in a place that no one sees. This birth where this thing is taken even out of the eyes of the people that are going to be deliverers. And God is calling you to recognize that as you're walking with him, his power is incredibly present and he is doing a work already in your life. And I, I love the parallel because the parallel is very similar to the, the birthing of Jesus. There's, there's an incredible parallel between the work and this power of God to set people free from human slavery compared to the power of God to set people, you and me, free from our sin through Jesus. They both are born with a pedigree. Here is, that's why it starts out a Levite woman and a Levite man and woman. He wants them to know they're of the tribe of Levi, they're priests. They're okay. They're the priestly family. They're the ones who intercede and do the work for God. And so he starts out and we find in Jesus, here is Jesus. He is both the what? Son of man, David, the king who's to come. And he's also the son of God. And you can just go through this entire list and you can just see uh, again and again how this whole process is God preparing? Moses and Jesus are born in humble to humble and poor parents. Both are born under the threat of death. Pharaoh and Herod, both are going to kill these babies. Both Moses and Jesus are sovereignly protected and cared for by God. Both are future deliverers. One of an oversized family that has grown into a nation. Another one of the whole world of people who have sinned. And both deliver from bondage. One from human slavery or from Egypt and the other from the sin and selfishness in your own heart. And a baby becomes a deliverer. 
And the greatest deliverance you'll ever experience is not a deliverance from a bad situation or feeling like you're in a bad work situation or, or, or whatever it may be. The greatest deliverance you will ever experience is when you open your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you just forgive me my sin? I need to be controlled by new passions and new desires. I need you to birth in me a work that only you can do. If you've never done that, he just, he just says, invite me into your heart. It's a simple thing. It's not a, I don't want to make it an emotional thing. It's just you just say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. I, I open my heart to you right now, and I invite you into my life. Just a simple prayer to God. And the last is this that I'm going to share with you. God is at work through a process that demands total and complete surrender. Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 10 is step 1, I said, in the process which unfolds. There is no mention of the name of God through the first two chapters until you come to the very end of chapter 2. But you know what that is? That's 80 years of time. 80 years. How many here are 80 years old? Yeah, some of you don't want to raise your hand. Okay. That's how long God has seemed to be silenced but he's been at work. Step one took 80 years before it came into fruition. And every step along the way, when you don't see it and you don't understand how God's going to remove this wall and how he's going to take this down or, or what's going to need to happen, requires total and complete surrender. God, I don't see it, I don't get it, but I believe that you are here and I've seen through God incidences you're present with me. And you get into year 50 and you're going, God, I'm having trouble now believing these God incidences. And he comes to you again and you go, okay, God's here and he keeps marching you along total and complete surrender to what God wants to do in your life. Now I'm going to ask the team for a worship team to come forward at this point and we're going to worship but I'm going to ask you to consider what it means for you to potentially surrender in the process you may be in. I don't know what, what it is but I do know it was true for Jacobed, for the mother of Moses. She had a little baby. She was holding this baby who looked good. Can you imagine what it would be like after three months of hiding this baby, coming to a place, going, God, I know I'm supposed to protect this child. I know I'm supposed to be involved with this child. I don't see a way out of this. And so God begins to stir in her heart, and she begins to build this little ark, and she makes this ark, and her whole heart is saying, God, I pray that through this ark you will do what needs to be done with this child. Can you imagine how hard it was for her to let go? And I don't know what you're holding on to, but until she let go, God couldn't begin to do more of a work. And I don't know, you could be holding on to something in your business. You could be holding on to, you know, um, trying to control something with your kids. You could be trying to, you know, hold on to something and it's painful. And it's not only painful in your own grasp, but it's painful what you're holding on to. And God is saying, you know, I can't move this further unless you let go. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing. And as you sing, I just want you to process God. Is there something, and you may have it right like that, or you may know someone who's seeking to let go, and you can pray for them, but let's worship, and then I'll come back up and we'll end.